Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of February 24th, 2020. On the show today, it's the news, plus listener emails. And in our main segment, Jim gives us the history of the upcoming Remy's Ratatouille Adventure Ride at Epcot. Let's get started by bringing in the man who points out that the trees cut down to make Jenga blocks are forced to relive their own deaths every time they're used. It's Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? Man, have you ever seen those oversized versions of Jenga? I mean, the big blocks. No. We can make like the six foot tall tower. It's literally Jenga for adults. And I thought, well, you know what? That, that, you know, Len mentioned this. I'll do some research out ahead. I'll have some funny stories. And it's like, trust me, Len, you do not want to research. You know, you don't want to Google Jenga for adults. <laughs> no, Jim, you do not. I'm not even going to attempt to type this in as you're talking. Oh, oh, oh. I've seen things written You've on wooden blocks that I can't unsee, Len. <laughs> Mental note not to, uh, not to Google adult Jenga. Thank you for that, Jim. All right, Jim, let's do a quick shout out to subscribers over at DisneyDish.Bandcamp.com. Thanks to new subscribers, Dave R., Chris S., and Dan B., and longtime subscribers, Chris L., Jay Broadley, and Laura H. Jim, these folks are the ones who stand in for the shaman in the last scene of Navi River Journey when the shaman animatronic figure stops working. Now, I know you think it's a projection screen because their movements are so graceful, so smooth, and so refined, but it's really, Jim, just years of classical dance training and some tranquilizer darts borrowed from the Kilimanjaro safaris. And now I have to go back on that ride and check this out. <laughs> That's not fair. Speaking of rides, Jim, I've got some ride news. Let's let's do the news. Jim, right before uh, we started recording, you and I were talking about the difficulties that Rise of the Resistance has been having the last couple of weeks. Yes? Yes, yes. And let's tiptoe our way through the minefield, Len. How are we going to talk about this? <laughs> Uh, so, uh, it hasn't been running well for a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. From what I understand, what I'm told, hypothetically speaking, not that I've heard anything, it's a temporary issue that will be resolved shortly. So, the things that have been happening in the last couple of weeks aren't indicative of what's going to happen once a, this particular issue gets resolved going forward. And I think you'll see Disney ramping up the number of people in the boarding group relatively soon. For today, for example, uh, so we're recording this on Wednesday the 19th um, at about noon. We've been counting people going coming out of Rise of the Resistance all morning. Mm-hmm. They're averaging around 1,060 people an hour. That's down from about 300 people an hour from what we've seen as the peak oh. at Disney's Hollywood Studios. So it's down 300 people an hour. And you know, over the course of the day, that's, you know, 4,000 4, guest rides. Okay. It's temporary. I get that. I get that. But at, at the same time, it's temporary. It's school vacation week, though. In right, getting- it's, it's not temporary for the people who only have a few days to be in Walt Disney yeah. World, right? So, uh, yeah, it breaks my heart. I mean, normally Disney will get, you know, to 100 boarding groups or so. They gave out uh, 46 boarding groups this morning and then immediately moved to backup boarding groups. And the difference there, of course, is that uh, backup boarding groups aren't, well, nobody's guaranteed to ride, but backup boarding groups are essentially flying standby on the ride. Now, the good news is, is that they're, they've already started calling backup boarding groups, but... Mm. Clearly, Disney's concerned about over-promising regular boarding groups to a lot of people. And remember, there's this whole procedure for getting a boarding group going forward, you know, to, to Rise of Resistance at Disney's Hollywood Studios, which is in addition to the Tier 1 and Tier 2 that operates at that park. Oh, I, I wanted to mention that uh, the thing that, that sparked this conversation was the the news that Cinderella Castle at the Magic Kingdom is getting a redo for the 50th. Yeah. And that's what, that's what sparked this next 
conversation. That's worth talking about in and of itself because it speaks volumes about how important these projection shows are at the park now. The fact that for the 25th anniversary, we had the castle cake, which Disney continues to live down. <laughs> so we're not getting a, a, another version of the castle cake for the 50th? No, no. But what castle, we are... Castle tiramisu. <laughs> I, I believe actually that what they were considering was, was castle avocado toast. <laughs> it's, it's very millennial, Jim. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> because the castle is this projection service, they had to be very careful about what they decided to do. And, and so it's literally gold highlights, which, of course, 50th anniversary, gold being the color for 50. It's like, OK, that makes sense. But it's a kind of a one-two punch there because that means also that no bride is going to complain about how their view of you know, their wedding photos was screwed up because of the 50th anniversary decorations. Right. They learned the lesson there. It's a good point about them not being able to add many things to the castle because of the projection show because all of the images on the castle projection show are digitally mapped mm -hmm. to the three-dimensional surfaces on the castle and if they added lots Anything. of things to the castle they'd have to redo the the yep. uh, totally. yeah okay. totally but there have been some very interesting meetings at walt disney world in the past week or so that everybody who's ever been to walt disney world is going to try to come back to for 2021 to enjoy all of the stuff we're doing the 50th. But that also mm -hmm. means we're going to have people who haven't been back here in 20 years. And we're also going to have guests who've never been here, which yeah. means these are people who have had absolutely no experience with FastPass, FastPass Plus, Magic Bands, let alone the idea of Tier 1, Tier 2, and the boarding groups. And oh, right. Yeah. how would you like to be behind this family, whether it's trying to get into the park behind them <laughs> or... <laughs> you mentioned that, and I, <laughs> I, I was going into Epcot Monday. Yep. And... Listeners, you've all done this, right? You you walk up to the park, tap styles. There's a line of people waiting to tap their magic bands at the tap style. And I'm going to say out loud the thing that every listener is thinking. You get in line based on who in front of you looks the most competent when it comes to tapping. Like these people don't look like idiots. I'll get in line behind them, right? Everyone does it, Jim, right? That's it exactly. These people look smart. Yeah, I, but again, there are people who pay thousands of dollars to come down and have no idea about this. And it's just like, what are we going to do to mitigate the situation? So they're actually having conversations yeah. now about creating a video. Khan Academy videos? Yeah, get it to the effect of, <laughs> hey, you're coming to Disney World. Let's explain about these brand new technological innovations, you know, because we note that you haven't been back here, you know, in years. Oh, God. Could you imagine the – imagine – Having to educate. I mean, I, I do imagine this because I'm I'm actually updating the unofficial guide guidebook mm -hmm. now for 2021. I've started you know the the first couple of chapters, mm -hmm. and when we did the big reorg of the book last year, we had to we had to rethink mm -hmm. all of the questions that first timers have. And we talked about this on the show before, you know. But things like you know what is a magic band? What's in it? How does it work? Yeah. Right? And and you know what can it do? What can't it do? Or even like how does FastPass work? There are people to this day, I mean, FastPass has been out forever. There mm -hmm. are people to this day who who think that simply by tapping your magic band, you get entrance into the FastPass line, mm -hmm. nothing about reservations. So they're going to have a huge educational yeah. uh, challenge for these these folks who haven't been, uh, you know, ever or in, you know, 20 years. So anyway, you were, you were talking about Epcot. Getting through the turnstile is only the beginning of the fun. Of, of, uh, oh, Jim. <laughs> the, reason, the reason why I went was because the center of Epcot Future World is now yeah. closed. 
to pedestrian traffic. So you can still get to Spaceship Earth, but it's convoluted. Mm -hmm. And what, what they've got, Jim, in place is a series of very tall green walls mm -hmm. with Epcot logos on them. So they're not, you know, they're not plain, but they, uh, they route you around different areas. So because the, the center of the park is now closed, mm -hmm. you can enter on the right side, which is Future World West, you know, the side of Living Seas, mm -hmm. or Future World East, which is, you know, Test Track. And you end up joining again at, at Spaceship Earth. But at Spaceship Earth is where the corrals or the, uh, the lanes of construction walls start. And there are cast members with signs. Mm -hmm. that say if you go to the right, you're going to pass immediately by the Seas with Nemo and Friends. And then you'll walk your way to, to, to Soren. That's the line that I got in. And mm -hmm. you know, the line was several thousand people, you know, a couple thousand people long, it looked like. Mm -hmm. It was essentially a, a six-minute continuous stream of, of people, large groups of people, walking from there to Soren. Mm -hmm. But I don't think Disney's planned for this, Jim. Because the Seas with Nemo and Friends is now the first ride that you see when you enter uh, Future World uh, and to the right, that the line for that has gone from like 15 or 20 minutes to an hour. Oh. And the ride is running much slower. I don't know if the ride has ever seen the sustained demand that it's getting now. Because remember, it used to be in, in the far corner of Future World. You used to have to walk all the way past Spaceship Earth, mm -hmm. make a right, go through you know, the Communicore Plaza or the Future World West Plaza, then make another right, then walk all, almost all the way back to the front of the park to get there. And, but now it's, it's within steps of people coming in. And I think the demand for that now is putting a stress on the, the ride system, the Omnimover ride system. And that's, that's something to watch. Yeah, and that's 2001? Yeah. The other thing, Jim, we, we walked the other, my sister and I were, were there, we walked the other side, um, so Future World East. Mm -hmm. So, again, you, you go to Spaceship Earth, there's a sign, a cast members of the signs that say, you know, go this way to Test Track. So, as soon as you get to, you know where the entrance is to uh, underneath the Spaceship Earth globe, the entrance mm -hmm. for Spaceship Earth? At that yeah. point, just right after that, you go past it and there's guest relations. Mm -hmm. At guest relations on your left, they route you. Again, they say, if you want to go to Frozen, follow this path. Okay, so remember remember where you're at. You're at Guest Relations in Epcot just past the ball. Normally, you'd walk straight ahead and sort of bear to the, to the left sure. to get to World Showcase Norway. They have you turn around and walk back towards Universe of Energy, towards the front of the park. And you walk along the facade now for Guardians of the Galaxy roller coaster. And then you emerge on the other side of the plaza near where Wonders of Life is. And from there, you walk past Test Track and into World Showcase. But they actually have you turn around and walk all the way back to the park entrance <laughs> to get to Norway, Jim. <laughs> wow. Is there some sort of small print that did the effect of We're talking about the actual Norway, folks, not the pavilion. <laughs> just yeah, turn around, like, get, head back to the parking lot, get in your car and drive. My thing was like, could we just not put another monorail stop at the, at the middle part of the loop? Because that might be that might be the fastest thing. When I got to the point where they said Norway's this way, and they mm -hmm. pointed me back towards the front of the park, I was like, "Yes, of course it is. <laughs> this, is this is the way to Norway. Let's go. Let's go. Let's try it. See what happens." 
it's just a mess. Jim. I mean, look at uh, those of us who experienced the redo of, of Disney's California DCA. Adventure from yeah, yeah it was exactly like that, Jim. Exactly like that. It makes yeah. me wonder, given all these construction fences, if they're going to bring out the character that that they use to help people get through these miles and miles of construction fences out there. It's a, what was his name? Manny the Minotaur. It did feel like uh, Pamplona and running with the bulls. First one to make it there gets a fast pass. Last one gets eaten by the Minotaur. Go. <laughs> Go. Good luck, guest. I will say that the the facade to Guardians of the Galaxy <laughs> looks very Epcot-y. Okay. The, uh, have you seen it? Sort of like the dark, uh, dark, dark gray, um, huge, like three or four story walls with like a slash design, almost like chevrons, but not quite chevrons on the side you know, of concrete. It looks it looks good. Yeah, uh, it's massive. But it looks good. Right now, it's all about, is that going to actually be ready to open? Or for that matter, is, is all of Epcot going to be ready to open for 2021? Because, man, that clock is ticking. The other thing I would say about, about Epcot, uh, and again, we're recording this at noon on Wednesday, about, about an hour ago, Regal Eagle Smokehouse opened. My sister Christina was there. Uh, she says that the uh, smoked chicken is apparently very, very good. Mm. So uh, I'll have a full report next week. I'm going to head out there as soon as we're done here. Very cool. All right, Jim, let's do some listener emails. We've got a couple. Our pal Mark writes in and says, uh, listening to you and Jim, listening to Len and Jim, over the years has taught me that when Disney does something small, there's always a bigger idea behind it. For example, the open grill with the best hot dogs in Walt Disney World in Liberty Square is also where the Muppets performed patriotic great moments in history. That seems like a small-scale test for the open-air smoker at Regal Eagle Smokehouse with a Muppet-led overhaul of American adventure. So uh, the the question is, do we think that the next redo of the American Adventure Pavilion will include the Muppets, Jim? It's Disney, so there's that whole never-say-never thing. And there is Disney's America, you know, when they were doing their version of Ellis Island, the Muppets were supposed to be the stars of that film. That said, I don't necessarily think at least yeah, as a, long as Bob Iger's in charge of the company, there's all that much love for the Muppets. I don't know, know and especially given that this has always been a, a fairly serious attraction, I don't think the Magic 8 Ball is going to say what Mark wants us to say here. We know that when when Disney does refurb the American Adventure, and, and they need to. Again, it's, it's 40 years old. Oh, sure. When they do it, they're going to need something temporary there. I could see a Muppet movie playing that there. That's work. not entirely out of the out of the realm of possibility. They've got the theater. They've got theater screens, right? Because mm. part of the part of the attraction itself is is a film, right? Yeah, they could do that, and I, I wouldn't I wouldn't put it past them to to do that. That kind of makes sense, even. But actually, having the Muppets in the attraction going forward, you know, again for another forty years, uh, I'd, I'd be suspicious. Yeah, yeah, same thing here. Speaking of attractions, our good friend Chris writes in with a story about Maelstrom of all things, Jim. Uh, so Chris writes, in the mid-1980s, the Imagineers were tasked with creating Maelstrom. They had loose guidelines for the project, but otherwise were given carte blanche for the finished product because they were an experienced team that the company trusted. After months and months uh, working on the development, the big day came, a pitch to Michael Eisner, who would hopefully give the green light to begin construction. So they, they're standing in the conference room. They pitch the idea in depth to Michael Eisner, and Eisner's sat there in his chair Attentive, but not sort of giving away his feelings about how he felt about it. So he was completely silent throughout. When the presentation was over, he spoke up and said that he hated it. He said, this needs to go. That needs to go. We need to add this. We need to improve that. Make this thing better and so on. Essentially, 
Chris writes, Eisner explained to the Imagineers his own vision for the attraction while overhauling the entire ride idea that they had just spent months developing. So the design team, of course, was was not happy about that, but they had their list of changes from the CEO and they went back to work. So a few more weeks passed. They worked really, really hard to incorporate all of Eisner's uh, notes by the, by the deadline for the next pitch. So the next pitch session comes. They were able to redo the entire attraction while incorporating every idea that Eisner had originally they go through the entire pitch again of the new version Eisner this time is of course more receptive he's nodding he's looking at them inquisitively they finish and then there's this long pause and Eisner uh, is clearly thinking about what question he wants to ask first and he finally asks uh, I like it how much is it going to cost so they give him the updated number which was of course larger than the original estimate because Eisner himself asked for a bunch of additions and there's this other pause that and then Eisner said Hmm. What was your original plan again? Let's go with that. <laughs> oh. Oh. So, so the story is that one of the lead Imagineers said at that point, every Imagineer in the room uh, wanted to grab Eisner by the collar and throw him out the window. They decided not to do that. And eventually everyone realized that the original idea is what they, what they ended up with. And that's how Maelstrom was, yeah. was constructed. Now, I don't know if this story is true, Jim, but oh. it sounds kind of Eisnerish, doesn't it? Oh, very much so. And this project started out as the Scandinavian pavilion. And then, then only then, because the, the, the three Scandinavian nations that were supposed to pay for this thing couldn't come up with the dough. It became the Norway pavilion. And then it was going to have a trolls ride with a Sherman Brothers song attached to it. And Paul Torregino just tells all of these stories about how this project kept mutating and mutating and mutating. And I'm sure Eisner was right in the middle of all that. And, and yes, the fact that, you know, he, they didn't bury him out back. Strength of character. <laughs> Probably not a good thing not to kill the boss. Probably a good idea at the time. Yeah. All right, Jim, we're going to take a quick commercial break. And then when we come back, you're going to tell us all about how Disney is building the new Remy's Ratatouille Adventure Ride at Epcot. This summer, summer 2020, Epcot is getting a new family-friendly ride called Remy's Ratatouille Adventure, which I believe is a clone of the ride in Disneyland Paris. Yes? Yeah. The original opened at Walt Disney Studios Park in Paris in mm-hmm. 2014. But yeah, it, it, there was a long, weird path to getting this ride open at that park. How do you say uh, what a long, strange trip it's been in French? <laughs> <laughs> I've managed to retain out of high school friends, j'ai 12 ans, I'm 12. <laughs> not, not as applicable now as it was then, Jim. I, yeah, an omelette du fromage. So you know, as long as I'm 12 <laughs> and willing to just eat cheese, cheese omelets, I'm good. <laughs> anyway. That's the thing about the Remy's Ratatouille adventure story. It, to tell this right, we got to go all 35 years back to when the Walt Disney Company finally got serious about building a theme park slash destination resort in uh, France. Uh, this was December 15th, 1985. They signed a letter of intent. March of 1987, they finally locked down with the French government the exact details of this project. And it's and Disney prided itself on being tough negotiators, but the French were equally tough, Len. They were like, okay, so... When we sign this thing today, on March 1987, one year from today, you've started construction. And Disney blew that deadline. They didn't actually begin working until August, on, uh, August of 88 on site. 
And then they had to have phase one of this destination resort, which featured a theme park based on uh, Walt Disney World's Magic Kingdom and Disneyland Park in California, had to be open and operational within five years. So that was spring of 1992. And then the crucial term here, that they had to have a second gate, a theme Mm. park with a yet-to-be-determined theme, had to be open within 15 years, so spring of 2002. And again, I did, don't have to tell listeners to the, the Disney dish about what happened after, you know, Euro Disney opened in April of 1992, didn't mean its financial projections, debt piled up quickly, and it was only yep. because Frank Wells was able to renegotiate with the consortium of, of French banks that had lent the money for the project. But by March of 1994, that new deal was in place and the newly renamed Disneyland Paris Resort avoided bankruptcy. But as we move through the 90s, the Imagineers are trying to figure out, okay, so at the park's popular. I can, in fact, I want to yeah. say from year one, it surpassed the Eiffel Tower to become the number one tourist destination in all of France. Ooh, that hurts, but okay. Yeah, but it never met its financials. It had all of these empty hotel rooms because they, again, we won't get into the bullet train bringing people out of Paris, but, you know, back and forth to the park. But Right. It, so it, it meant it, it met its attendance projections, but yeah. wasn't it that they, they found that people weren't spending oh, yeah. money know, they, in the park, particularly like on, on merchandise and food, right? Yeah. It took them years to get a handle on what it was that the European tourists really wanted and how to get them to open their wallets. At the same time, the clock is ticking, Len. You know, that there's that obligation to build theme park number two, which must be open by the spring of 2002. So are you familiar with the Monty Python's contractual obligation album? No. (laughs) It literally is. The last album they owe to Arista, it came out in October of 1980. Well, Walt Disney Studios Park in Paris is literally the Walt Disney Company's contractual obligation theme park. I was there. I was there, Jim. I had to review it for uh, the unofficial guide to Disneyland Paris. It was, parts of it were inexplicable in terms of like trying to review it. It was this hodgepodge of ideas when it opened, none of which were well executed, none of which formed into a cohesive whole. There was, uh, what was the ride for, was it the ride for Armageddon? Was that the? Uh, oh, God, yes. <laughs> I left, left that with a group of French people who turned to me and in English said, we're, we're never getting that time in our life back. The French equivalent of like, there's 30 minutes we're never going to have again, right? Yeah. I'm sorry on behalf of the company. Like, I don't, why, why are you telling me this in English? Anyway. <laughs> well, Kevin Rafferty, the veteran Imagineer, the guy who wrote that wonderful new book, uh, Magic Journey, tells this story about he was over in France and walking through this set of industrial buildings. He'd never been to the park before and was, was talking with an official for the park. And it's like, okay, so when do we get to the theme park? And it's like, you're in it. Yeah. The backstage tour thing was oh. just... Yeah. Remember they were they were promoting I forget the name of the film but it had to do with dragons in London? Yes, yes. I mean it it was like imagine you had to build a theme park on the cheap <laughs> using only the worst movies Disney's released in the last 20 years. When they initially talked about building uh, the second gate, which was going to be uh, a far more lavish version of Disney MGM Studio Theme Park, the original budget for that land was was $1.2 billion. That was just phase one. Wow. Now, jump ahead to March of 2002. The entire park was built for $600 million, opened with 10 attractions, three quick service restaurants, and five shops. The French people were not fooled. They went... 
And you could literally watch the attendants fall through the floor. You know, people would go to it as part of their Walt Disney World vacation and realize mm -hmm. within a half day, I, I've seen everything. There's nothing here. And they didn't come back. I mean, they'd come back and go over to Disneyland Paris, but they wouldn't go to Walt Disney Studios Park in Paris. This becomes particularly difficult in 2004, 2005. But of course, in 2005, Michael Eisner steps down as the head of the Walt Disney Company and Bob Iger steps in. And Bob is the guy who negotiates a deal with Pixar in January 2006 that Disney's going to buy Pixar outright for $7.4 billion next to the $71 billion that Disney just spent for Fox. And how quaint. You, you picked up an entire studio for, for, for pocket change. But yeah, Iker turned to the, the company at that point and said, look, we need to recover this $7.4 billion. So, you know, he turned to Parkins Resorts, Consumer Products, Studios Home Entertainment, and Imagineering, and just said, look, we are leveraging Pixar intellectual property whenever and wherever possible. So even on the last show, we may have talked about how, for example, originally Midway Mania was Mickey's Midway Mania. And it's like, nope, yep. Mickey's out and Toy Story's in. The weird thing is, of course, you know, given that attendance uh, is cratering at uh, Walt Disney Studios Park in Paris, uh, they were prepping what was called the Toon Studios Project. And same thing, Iger's like, look, you know, I don't know what you're, you're, you're planning on doing, but Pixar characters go in there. So when this opens in the summer of 2007, it's got Crush's Coaster. Which is a good attraction. Yeah. Super long waits. You know, if you, if you were completely blind about Crush's Coaster and the Cars Race Rally, these are off-the-shelf rides bought from third-party contractors, which were then reskinned with the Pixar characters. It's not necessarily something Disney did. But again, you're right, super popular, long lines, Disney double downs on, on this, especially since it, the Toon Studios project began to turn on attendance at the second gate for Disney's Paris Resort. So yep. August of 2010, we get Toy Story uh, Playland, where we get the RC Racer, the Slinky Dog Zigzag Spin, and the Toy Story Parachute Drop. But again, these are all attractions or ride systems uh, that were bought from third-party folks that, again, were reskinned. But same thing, they open it. Attendance definitely sees a, a surge uh, at Walt Disney's uh, Studio Park in Paris. And the thinking is, well, wait a minute. What if, instead of we, you know, if we, we keep doing these small things, you know, what if mm -hmm. we, we, we do a big roll of the dice? What if we do a giant attraction for this park, but with a Pixar theme? And make it with tech that they people can't experience anywhere else in Europe. June of 2007, Pixar releases Ratatouille. And what's fascinating is that as early as June of the following year, 2008, it's at the press event for the opening of Toy Story Midway Mania. There's a reporter for CNBC, uh, her name is Julia Borstein, and she got to interview all of these uh, managers at WDI about you know what was in the works. And this is a quote from a piece she posted on the Media Money blog that there's no question that Pixar is an increasingly important driver at the Disney parks. The last big attraction Disneyland launched was its Finding Nemo submarine ride last year. It's working on a big Cars attraction for California Adventure and a mm -hmm. Ratatouille ride for Euro Disney outside of Paris. So as early as, as July of 2008, this thing was in the works. Okay, so so hold on here. So they, they were talking about Ratatouille in 2008. The film came out in 2007, so they immediately knew, okay, this is going into France. 
They knew it was a good fit, but because of the deal that Frank Wells restructured, you know, the the, the, the restructuring and uh, that was locked down in, in March of 1994, mm-hmm. this meant going forward, because of the terms that Frank had set up, that anything of size that was going to be proposed for the parks, the consortium of French bankers not only had to be able to review these plans, but they had to then make their shareholders aware of what was being considered. Because obviously, building something of size meant it was going to be that take that much more time to recover the money that they initially spent on the Euro Disney Resort. And there was a certain amount of hesitation at Imagineering. Brad Bird obviously created a very affectionate version of, of France. You know, anybody mm-hmm. who's seen the Ratatouille movie knows it's a Valentine, but at the same time, it's like, do the French get that this is an affectionate? Because, you know, I mean... Oh, good question. Yeah. You know, but yeah, they, they were genuinely concerned that are the French going to allow us to build this, you know, affectionate little version of Paris? And it, it turns out they were as big a fans of Ratatouille as you are, Len. On the other hand, the technology that was used to power this thing, the trackless ride system, the one that folks will be experiencing this summer at Epcot. This was initially introduced with Pooh's Honey Hunt at Tokyo Disneyland back in September 2000. And then it debuted in a in an outdoor version of this ride system. It became available on an attraction known as Aquatopia, which was located in the Port Disney section of Tokyo Disney Seas. That, that went live almost a year later, September 2001. And then nothing, Len. Disney had this amazing tech ride technology that stayed in Japan for 12 years. Wow. The very next time it was used was Mystic Manor. That didn't open at Hong Kong Disneyland until May of 2013. Wow. And there's always been this question about, well, why was that? Why didn't this amazing technology, everyone who rode Pooh's Honeyhead or Aquatopia just raved about the ride experience. So it's like, why didn't this travel? And I've heard two things, One, Len. One is that supposedly to fully take advantage of the trackless ride vehicle, you know, you just needed an enormous show building, which is hugely expensive to build. In fact, I, I want to oh, yeah. say the Pooh's Honey Hunt, just the building was $130 million. And again, and that's in 1999, $2,000. But the other thing I've heard is that the Oriental Land Company when Disney came at them and explained this is going to be expensive to build and tough to develop, they insisted on an exclusive. Really? Yeah, that may have been as long as a decade before they would then allow it to be used in other Disney parks. But So when you, you factor in um, the exclusive use and the technology and, you know, having to deal with this Japanese, cons- or excuse me, this is uh, cons- consortium of French bankers, and them in turn having to, you know, educate their shareholders about what they were being, you know, the financial risks they were asked being to take with this new attraction. That's why it took from uh, June of 2008 till July of 2014 to finally get the very first version of Ratatouille up and running. In fact, along the way, because this is how Imagineering works, the first name of this attraction was so much more fun it was okay. Ratatouille's Kitchen Calamity. I, yes. And I love that name. It's got a lot of alliteration in it. I kind of like it. And no, it, no. Remember, it, we, we did on the show, we did the, uh, we shared with listeners the 
survey names that Disney was kicking around. Yeah. And I think Calamity was in there too, yeah. You know, the guys who work on animated features talk about this, that you'll come up with a wonderful gag. When it's initially pitched in the storyboards, everyone thinks it's, it's tremendous. But the problem is that you are literally now three years away from this movie being released to theaters. And the problem is that each time the, the work in progress gets shown, you know, that gag, you know, gets shown. And, and first it gets a big laugh. And by, but the, by the 10th work in progress screening or the 15th work in progress screening, it's getting no laugh because everybody knows it there. And people then begin to think, eh, we need a stronger gag there. And it's like, no, no, no. We, it's a perfectly <laughs> it was fine gag. You're just, you're just tired. <laughs> exactly. Kitchen Calamity, this wonderful name, but it's just sort of, eh, can we come up with a better name? And so they went from Ratatouille's Kitchen Calamity to Ratatouille's Totally Zany Adventure, which is, to my way of thinking, a little on the nose, to then the generic Remy's Ratatouille Adventure. And right. now, as I understand it, the French version is just called Ratatouille L'Aventure. That is sort of the Disney uh, the Disney way, right? To put colons on things. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah. All right. Yeah. So they finally uh, sign off on construction in 2011. Site prep begins in 2012. It's not till March of 2013. We're at a Euro Disney shareholders meeting that they finally admit that the attraction's finally in the works. And of course, as we mentioned, it opened summer 2014. And then it has a huge impact. Uh, not only on... Does it really? Uh, yeah. You know, it's so much so on, on attendance, not only at Walt Disney Studios Park in Paris, but the, the whole Disneyland Resort, that there's this sort of pivot in the way Disney's thinking about, you know, because they've, they've had a minority stake in Disneyland Paris, you know, Destination Resort since it's March of 1994. And maybe we need to rethink this. Maybe we need to take a majority position. And so... February of 2017, Disney announces that they're going to start buying up shares of the Euro Disneyland Resort. By that summer, they've taken basically full ownership of the resort. And that's the very same time that they reveal that Remy's Ratatouille Adventure is headed to Epcot. Jim, real quick, I, uh, I found the uh, survey results Oh, with the original set of names mm -hmm. that Disney was going with. Can I go through them real quick? Sure. So there are about a dozen. Uh, one was Chef Remy's Kitchen Chase. <laughs> so all of these have, have the word Ratatouille in front of them. So Ratatouille, Chef Remy's Kitchen Chase. Mm -hmm. Ratatouille, Remy's Culinary Adventure. Ratatouille, Remy's Dinner Dash. Ratatouille, Remy's Culinary Chase. Ratatouille, Remy's Mealtime Madness. Ratatouille, Chef Remy's Dinner Dash. Ratatouille, Chef Remy's Mealtime Madness. So I guess putting Chef in front of Remy. Mm -hmm. Ratatouille's Chef... Oh my God, I can't even say this. Ratatouille, Chef's... God, <laughs> Ratatouille. This is why they didn't pick this one, Jim. Yeah. <laughs> Ratatouille, Chef Remy's Crazy Kitchen Adventure. You know, if I'm ever pulled over for DUI and the cop asks me to say Ratatouille, Chef Remy's Crazy Kitchen Adventure to prove I'm sober, I might as well just go to jail, Jim. There you go. Ratatouille, Chef Remy's Culinary Chase. Ratatouille, Remy's Crazy Kitchen Adventure. Ratatouille, Chef Remy's Culinary Adventure. And then finally, Ratatouille, Remy's Kitchen Chase. So we, uh, that was a show that we did in August of 2018. Uh, and then uh, about four months later, uh, actually three months later in November, they announced the, uh, the name. Yeah. And there's a lot riding on this attraction uh, opening uh, at Epcot this summer. And again, nobody is feeling it quite as keenly as the folks who are operating the Beauty and the Beast sing-along show, which uh, I don't know if you just saw, they 
they've temporarily crept in the hours on that. <laughs> shocked, Jim. I'm shocked yeah. to, to find the guest satisfaction ratings for, for that is not are not not going well. Evidently, they've they've told the cast members they're working. It's like, look, we're just creeping the hours for now, because when Remy's Ratatouille Adventure opens this summer we're going to be doing turnaway business because it's like so many people are going to come for this attraction and they're going to see the line and they're going to be looking for something else. And, and, and in the end, that's actually why they made that change. No, it's a, it's a great point. In yeah. fact, it's going to completely change how people tour Epcot. And we've, we've been saying this since the last unofficial guide, but when Remy opens, what you're going to want to do to tour Epcot efficiently, let's assume you're not just not going to get a fast passport, right? Because It'll be in such demand, no one's going to get fast passes for it. If you don't get a fast pass, the smart thing to do is instead of getting dropped off at the front of the park, get dropped off at Beach Club and walk to International Gateway because you'll have like a 15-minute head start on getting to, to Remy hmm. from everyone else that's at the front of the park. That's a great idea. So you'll just, you go through International Gateway, you'll make a right on the Pont des Arts Bridge, uh, and then you're, you're in France. You're right there. Hmm. I worry about... What this corner of the park is going to be like, you know, between Remy's Ratatouille Adventure, the new Lagoon show, coupled with still the interest in the Skyliner. The Skyliner, I think, is one of the best things they've done. Um, I had heard rumors that uh, Disney was trying to push up the opening of Harmonious, the Epcot, the next version of the Epcot show, um, before October 1st. I, I still think it's going to be October 1st because... At this point, they're not going to spend the money to rush something into production because the, while the parks are in Asia are still closed, they're not going to spend extra money. No, 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 on no. things like that. I don't think. But yeah, they've got they've, they've got some stuff. Jim, uh, going back to Beauty and the Beast, it is uh, one of the lowest rated things in Epcot. Wow, according to our uh, to reader surveys, yeah, not the thing that kind of shocked me is I finally got to see a, a bootleg of it, and I don't know who they farmed. The photo, you know, animating the new LeFou footage out too. Yeah. But it's, there's such an obvious step down in quality from the original film to this, this new stuff that was created. And it's just sort of like, wow. I mean, really? If you looked at the animation, I was looking at the plot and it didn't yeah. make any sense to me. Oh, yeah. Um, so just, just for context, no age group that we survey rates this thing even as average. Everyone thinks it's below average. Yeah. Oh, let me see what impressions to France is while I'm here. Uh, no, Impressions of France is higher. <laughs> okay, yeah, except, for, except for preschoolers. Except yeah. for preschoolers, Impressions of France is higher. So but, uh, lesson, lesson learned in, uh, at management in Disney. But the, the, uh, the, as, as it was explained to me this week that, you know, when Remy opens, you know, at that oh, point. it'll be. You know, yeah, gonna it's going to pull people business. away from. Yeah. Then on the other side of the 50th anniversary, evidently there is discussion about doing a new, you know, quote-unquote uh, film for France and then putting that back in because the belief is that this is kind of a Band-Aid and that two years in, the popularity of Remini uh, mm -hmm. will fall off enough that, you know, they won't necessarily need this safety valve and they can go back to a more cultural program. But it, evidently, they, they're they already out there feeling out folks like, in much the same way as they had to do all the advance work out ahead of uh, Canada or far and wide. Like we, we want to do a new tourism film and we're, you know, we're looking for partners for 2023-2025. Well, the thing that, one of the things that's going to help Remy is that Guardians of the Galaxy will open the following summer. It will mm -hmm. open in 2021. So it'll open next year. 
and that's going to pull people back into future world. Yeah, yeah. And I think I think that'll balance things out. What it, it should also make, depending on how they do fast passes, I expect mm-hmm. Remy to be a tier one, you know, along with uh, Soren and Test Track. I wouldn't be surprised if one of those two rides maybe makes it to tier two. Definitely, when Guardians of the Galaxy comes in, I think that all the tiers in Epcot will will change. But oh, yeah, yeah, I mean, they're, they're going to have to they're going to go through a year of Remy where. Future world construction is going to be a mess. Mm. It's going to be the hot new family-friendly thing at Epcot. Everyone's going to flock to it. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if, because of the crowds, you would you wouldn't see maybe even Morocco open because Morocco doesn't have a ride. You don't have to staff it, and they could sell people food or the UK. I wouldn't again. UK doesn't have rides, so you could. It wouldn't take much to staff it, and you could sell people food. I wouldn't be surprised to see the area around France open at park opening. Yeah, but just remember, though, that the wild card with uh, the UK is we're still, you know, in in fact, you know, has there been any movement on Cherry Tree Lane? Nothing, Jim, nothing. Wow. I was going to talk about it, but there's really nothing to say. Other than the small couple-sentence blurb that we got Mm. at D23 and the tiny few seconds of footage on the Epcot experience for nothing about that. Well, somebody made the mistake of properly looking to see how much you know, money Mary Poppins Return actually made. And it's like, oh, okay. You know, can we say Cherry Tree Lane? We meant Cherry Tree Shed. Exactly. <laughs> this was Originally, it was going to be a dark ride, right? Yeah. And then the last thing I heard was Carousel. Now it's going to be one of those kid rides that you see in front of supermarkets that you put a quarter in. <laughs> wow. Our expectations have shrunk, Jim. There we go. So, <laughs> all right, all right, folks. That's going to do it for uh, for us today. Please head on over to DisneyDish.BandCamp.com where you'll find exclusive shows never before heard on iTunes, and you can find more of Jim at JimHillMedia.com and more of me at TouringPlans.com. On next week's show, to prepare for the opening of Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway, Jim tells us how Disney trained cast members on how to be Mickey, Minnie, Donald, and Winnie the Pooh, plus other Disney characters in the parks. We're produced fabulously by Aaron Adams, who's serving his grandmother's lobster mac and cheese recipe from 4 to 10 p.m. at this weekend's Fredericksburg Lobster Festival in beautiful Fredericksburg, Texas. While Aaron's doing that, please go into iTunes and rate our show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. We'll see you on the next show.